Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Basecamp. When you use Basecamp to run projects, people know what to do, people know where things are, and you stay on top of everything all the time. Thanks, Basecamp! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not, not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everyone, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast featuring the theme Fringe, a theme chosen by our special guests and co-curators for the evening, the wonderful people behind Post Loudness. Uh, Post Loudness, in case you don't know, is a new podcast collective in Chicago that aims to present audio on the Fringe. Uh, they do really great work, and you'll hear from a few of their hosts this episode, including Charlene King, Cher Vincent, and James T. Green. Uh, you'll also get tales from Brian Willie and Kevin Budnick, two really rad storytellers, and and there's music from me, Claire Friedman, and Dwight Hassler. Uh, let's do some plugs. So our next Your Story show is this upcoming Sunday, July 17th, at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago at 7 p.m. Uh, as always, that is free. We've got some fantastic storytellers lined up, and we'll be spotlighting Puck and Grind, an LGBT sports charity that does really great work. Uh, so come on out and enjoy that. More info for that event is available on our website, nerdalogs.com, and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors for this episode, Basecamp, and thanks to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for setting it all up. If you're a podcaster or a business and want to be a part of this awesome collaboration, go to chicagopodcastcoop.com to learn how you can do that. Uh, this is one of the coolest things about podcasting in Chicago for sure. Uh, thanks to Post Loudness for helping us put together a great night of stories. To learn more about what they do and listen to some really cool shows, direct your web browser to postloudness.com you won't regret it. Uh, finally, thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to go above and beyond to show your love, there are a couple things you can do. Leaving reviews on iTunes always helps by making it easier for other people to find the show, so that's cool. Uh, if you really like us, you can go to patreon.com slash and toss some dollars our way. That helps us make more cool stuff, and it gets you rewarded. It is that simple. Uh, but the best thing you guys can do is enjoy the show. And here it is now. So, uh, this kind of came together organically and then intentionally. We're gonna uh, gonna do a couple songs by artists that uh, have kind of had. <laughs> I don't know how 
put a nice spin on this. They passed away this year, which is a real bummer. So a little late, but this is our, our tribute to a couple great artists. singing everything today like I'm Cher at Lilith Fair. Cher! <laughs> Which Cher? I think Cher just yelled Cher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is Turn Back Time. Yeah. Back I wish. Back time. <laughs> have we ever done that? No, we, we totally could. Next time. <laughs> that song's fucking rad. <laughs> Most of my share impressions are just other people's share impressions. Yeah. <laughs> are we allowed to sing this? Yeah, this is not, turn, not back time, turn Back Time, but you are absolutely allowed to sing no. anything we're singing. If you want to sing Turn Back Time while we're singing this song, <laughs> I mean, I guess you can if you want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, this is decidedly not share. Share is still with us. Uh, this gentleman's at least yeah. not. One, two, three, four. 
could swim like the dolphins like dolphins can swim though nothing nothing will keep us together we can beat them forever and ever oh we can be just for one day I I will be king And you You will be queen Though nothing people who are here and breathing and, and just being wonderful people. Coming up first to the stage, the co-host of the Devil's Avocado Finance Podcast, which, God, I could really use that in my life. I am terrible with money, y'all. This is Charlene King. Wow, you really can't see from up here. So uh, I am going to read a fan fiction that has nothing to do with finances, um, and the title will become clear at the end. Sometimes I read things and they're so fucking good, I write them down in my notebook only to tear out the pages and mail it to someone. Sometimes that's not good enough, so I photocopy it and mail it to a lot of someones. I have seasonal postage that I want them to have when the words get too heavy. 
I mail it over and over again to the same someone sometimes. The worst is when something is so good and I can't help myself, I write a letter about it to someone and I mail it through the next book in the library. Carefully folded college-ruled paper torn from a single subject notebook tucked between the pages of a different book. It's how I outlive my mortality. I met her responding to my letters in the library. It's her guilty pleasure, she tells me. We've been writing back to each other for a year, she tells me, and I believe her. Stranger things have lied before. She had left a date and time to meet her. You've got my attention written emphatically. Now do something with it. I want to tell you there was something off about her. I want to expose some deeply embarrassing fact. It'd be so predictable, but I got nothing. It was mostly uneventful. Her eyes are gray like your breath talking in the winter, like when a car's exhaust spits up cold engine and it holds you hostage till summer. Other people would insist they were green or blue, but you gotta get a closer look, I suppose. The Trump convention at UIC. I'm here for the Trump convention, she explained cautiously. Oh, it never made sense to me that he landed the pavilion and not Sanders. I replied, contemplating whether or not this was an elaborate prank. Nope, outbid, she said, thick with boredom. Without a clue to what else to say, I just stared down at the linoleum. Is this where you make a joke about a bird landing somewhere, she says rhetorically. Nope, I think everyone's just a fucking asshole, I say to the floor. I can hear her skin cracking as her face crawls into a small smile. From there, it was all over, and I became her best-kept secret. Kassov met him in a similar way. Well, it was similar in the complete reliance on pure chance and the forgiving nature of our own multitudes. Have you ever gone to a convention based around a very niche part of our world? Comic-cons aren't so niche anymore. The huddled masses of angry victims of childhood bullying watching their protected sanctuaries crumble into monoliths of popular culture. They didn't meet anywhere particularly weird, it was a true crime convention. The armchair detectives who obsess and pore over details and crimes brought to light by public intrigue shuddered to mystery by the uncertainty of guilt. Notebooks stuffed and worn with chicken scratches marking endless lists of detail on detail. Scattered throughout the crowd were the pop culture gawkers, the people who are introduced through Serial on NPR, Making of a Murderer on Netflix, Jinx on HBO, but they haven't seen Cold Case on A&E. Their dark-fitted blue jeans and plaid shirts betray their youth and te their technology. Can you gentrify a convention center? <laughs> On a shelf tucked into aisle F at booth 1285 was a rare copy of Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi, <laughs> who would be signing books later after a panel about the literature around Charles Manson. The connection between the book and an autograph would be missed by most of the attendees, but not our fateful pair. Kassoff spotted the book high up on the shelf, the spine of the book with its dewy decimals and trademark worn canvas covering of a retired library book stood tall. She stood short and looked around for a step stool, anything that could assist her without giving away the urgency of the matter. That's when he saw her. His wristwatch trembled. He watched her for a minute, he saw the title, saw the cover, and understood instantly. His long strides brought him to the shelf just as she reached for the book. Their hands met at precisely the same moment they realized this was going to be trouble. I'd be lying if I said that I never considered Anne before. She, a prominent conservative media sensation, known for inflammatory comments and convictions that seem more founded on ratings than ideological integrity. I thought about the explosive sex that would resolve 
result from years of repression. <laughs> Kassoff once confessed to me that she had a secret attraction to Ted. The sort of secret <laughs> you tell your friends when you're spilling embarrassing secrets that you don't want to betray character, but are the human flaws of our decisions and desires. I find myself strangely attracted to Ted Cruz, she says. <laughs> I'm mesmerized by his horrible face. It's like a train wreck. Like he's not even remotely good looking. It's like when you smell gasoline and it's bad, but you keep sniffing. <laughs> I feel like it's pure evil. I can feel it resonating from him. I can't tell if she's kidding or serious. A pause hangs in, to the, hangs in the air to the sound of YouTube playing on our TVs like white noise on a static phone line. There's a moment where we should have laughed, but it's a measured silence. Can I tell you something? I ask into her long stare and the quiet indignity. I feel that way about Anne Coulter. I think I get it, but there's just something about her, you know? A visible relief passes on her face. Yeah, I know. Can we be serious for a second? Can you turn off the TV? I don't know where she's going, but I know what I'm about to tell her. He has a Playboy bunny on his hip. You know what that means, right? Kassov asks with a ridiculous grin, dependent on some universal humor. But I don't know, I say not in on the joke. We've been become dependent on each other as sole guardians of these two secrets. She's with Ted Cruz, I'm with Anne Coulter. She continues, you've never been to a tanning salon? They give you these stickers you wear. It goes in the same spot, like over time, so you can tell how much you've tanned. I live in Florida, and the girls I know all went to tanning salons. The full depth of what she's saying sinks in. Ted Cruz goes tanning? Isn't he from Texas? Yeah, but like tanning out in the open means you get tan lines. You, you can't get it even, not even close. Even at a tanning bed, you get weird marks. When he walks, I can see the tan line between his butt cheek and... No, I, stop, I gag. I really don't need to know where his exact tan, tan, no, tan lines are. Oh, come on, you think it's better hearing about Anne? She doesn't wear two watches at once, though, I say in her defense. <laughs> or is it my defense? I can't tell anymore. I'm thinking about kissing her. I lose my shit when we kiss. My brain melts and I've got nothing to say for the first time, second time, last time. When she smiles, it rules my world. I keep trying to make sense of it. Really, I do. I think about whether it's some compensation for knowing her cruelty. Her racism as a mixture of cyanide and rot being spoon-fed to millions. She seems so empty, it's hard to believe she's so full of a body count. When she rests her head on my shoulder, it feels like a train wreck, and my neck strains into rubber, staring her down, trying to get a glimpse of what happened. Do you love him? I ask Kassoff, while trying to figure it out for myself if I love Anne. She gets quiet the way a doctor does before telling you that the gurney carrying the one you love is someone you'll mourn. It's so quiet, I can hear the oxygen breathe. I love her. I think I love her. I don't know. I repeat like a broken record for a while. Kassoff listens to me like you listen for breath, like an ear hovering over someone's mouth. Maybe she's checking for signs of life. I can't love him. Yeah, I know the feeling. If this was any different, they'd want us dead. Yeah, I know. There is a defeat in admitting this, the kind where you fall on your knee instead of your ass. Maybe we should kill them. <laughs> 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 
We sat in a boat on Lake Michigan looking out away from Chicago. It was an aluminum motorboat, the kind that ferries wealthier people to their docked yachts in the marina. Do you remember that time on CNN you said that Clinton must be a closeted homosexual because of his infidelity since men who constantly demonstrate hypermasculinity through sexual conquest are hiding something? No, I say a lot of things and spoke into the city's starless night on the lake while the worn and tired boat with its motor turned off drifted us into the dark. The ambient light from the city may have drowned the stars, but the sunken black of the night sky couldn't light up either. Her eyes never shifted from the abyss as she dragged on her cigarette, the cherry glowing a little brighter. Her hollow face exhaled, inhaled the world in performance. I don't remember anything. Oh, I just remember that was the first time I thought I'd date you. I said as I untucked my hand from around her shoulder and reached for her hand. It was ice cold. <laughs> my body shifted and turned a little. As she leaned in to kiss me, I snapped her neck. The, <laughs> the quiet of it all startled me to tears as I slipped her body into the dark water. <laughs> I saw two flashes of light. It was Kassov's signal that Ted was also dead. I motored my boat towards her. She stood up in the boat and looked even shorter than usual. Her shoulders slumped, and I just wondered if she was tired or heartbroken. A bird landed on the tip of the boat. When I looked up, I saw another boat heading towards us. Shit. Bernie Sanders, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, and Janet Yellen were the passengers of the unknown boat. Sanders wore a suit, but the other three were in hooded garb, chanting, Sanders spoke up. I didn't think this happened so soon. Trump was a blessing, but these fucking idiot millennials. I want to thank you. Cruz was the last obstacle. He was an ideologue and fought us at every turn. What, what, what are you talking about? What about Anne? She supported Trump, I shouted into the violent turbulence. She was the virgin sacrifice Trump chose, said Sanders. A virgin, I asked incredulously. Well, as a supporter of gay marriage and gay rights, you know, I don't personally think that sex requires penis and vag vagina penetration. But in this case of sacrifice, you know, you require the spilling of seed. Anyway, thanks a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> one by one, they began to disrobe and jump into the water. The water starts glowing and bubbles are swarming our boat. Sanders looks up at us and says, thanks for supporting Cthulhu 2016. <laughs> Maybe one other time I felt bad for Ted Cruz. Maybe one other time. So like twice. Have you ever seen that video of him doing like Simpsons impressions? It's actually really sad. There's a really great article on the AB Club about how maybe the only way he can relate to people is through pop culture, which I understand, but also, man, fuck Ted Cruz a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, guys, coming up next to the stage, uh, this is a newer storyteller in the Chicago scene. This is his second time doing our show. Super great dude, Brian Willie. So um, this is about my year of uh, my year of living dangerously, my year of living on the fringe. Uh, I'd fallen on hard times. I needed a place to stay, and it had to be cheap. So one night I drove my super cool tan Ford Tempo down to the corner of Potomac and Artesian in Humboldt Park with two hefty bags full of clothes, and I moved in with a friend of my brother's. I'd lived there for a little over a year, saving my gold for the day that I could move back to civilization. It was my first time living in the hood, and it was an eye-opening experience. 
The only place to buy food and supplies for miles was a crappy little bodega where the milk, the bread, and the toilet paper cost three times what it would in a normal store. I was amused to see that the firehouse on the corner had razor wire around it. The firemen who sat outside would never wave back and either ignored you or stared daggers. They were like Romans at a distant border outpost, if Romans had periodically set off alarms and sirens and sallied forth in the middle of the night astride huge metal machines. Sleep can be hard to come by, which makes you short-tempered and prone to bad decisions, because some places are allowed all the time, especially places with drug markets. I learned how it felt to be profiled when I was repeatedly pulled over by cops who thought I was driving around to buy drugs or pick up hookers. There were frequent shootings in front of my building and at the church on the corner. Cops would show up with flashlights, looking for shell casings and planting little flags. There were shrines to dead kids, gangsters that had gotten themselves shot. I started to feel an affinity for the local gang and an anger for the outsiders who seemed to always be the ones doing the shooting. Why didn't our guys shoot back? Or if they did, why did they miss so fucking much? At first, I would run to the window to look outside when I heard popping noises. My roommate pointed out to me that I probably didn't want to be a witness to anything and that the ancient thin glass of our windows wasn't going to stop a stray round. Just dropped to the floor. There were guys selling crack under my window. I'd come back from a work trip dying to sleep, but I had to listen to them yelling and talking their bullshit. Why couldn't they just sell weed? How convenient would that be? They could yell out like the vegetable card vendors in my mother's hometown of Santiago, Chile. Mota! Marijuana! <laughs> I would imagine myself lowering a bucket with money in it, waving to the friendly dealers who knew me by name, asking about their family. They would thank me for asking and inquire as to my health while filling my bucket full of weed and hoisting it back up to my window. But it wasn't like that at all. Summer started and my room became stiflingly hot. After a week of staring at the ceiling of my room and wishing for a quick death, I found an old window air conditioning unit, and my roommate helped me install it. He stopped at one point and jokingly suggested that we consider dropping the AC unit out the window and onto the dealers by accident. I knew he was kidding, but I actually thought about it pretty hard because messing with my sleep is a good way to make me hate you with the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns. Weird zombie people walked around at all hours, spaced out with strange black bruises and sores on their faces and arms. People scratching all the time. Folks sitting upright, but nodding out against streetlights and on bus stop benches. From heroin, I eventually learned. The more you know. One night, I was at Hollywood Grill, a nearby 24-hour diner. I used to like that everyone would end up there. Cops, hookers, junkies, clubbers, rockers, nurses, second shift workers, all sitting right next to each other, eating rubber eggs or hockey puck burgers, a neutral ground. At 3.30 in the morning, when bad things happened, two different gangs showed up for lousy food, and a fight broke out in the back room. I saw heavy chairs flying through the air from my seat at the counter. The manager told the security guard to go break it up. The security guard immediately fled the restaurant, followed by a large group of panicked customers. I had waited too long. And now the revolving door was packed. I heard yelling and then popping noises in the back room, and it occurred to me that I might die in this crappy diner. Finally, the crowd cleared except for a cook who had fallen, jamming the revolving door. I looked up to see a young guy walking toward me from the back room. He was wearing white jeans. He was holding a large, shiny, chrome-finished semi-automatic pistol. I experienced tunnel vision for a moment, where all I could see was that gun, weirdly huge like an anime weapon. I helped the fallen cook up and pushed him through the door, following close behind, the hair standing on the back of my neck. Once out, I ran across the street, and I hid behind the wheel of a car. 
By the time police arrived, the shooter was gone into the night. My car was constantly getting broken into. I finally just stopped locking it because replacing windows is expensive. Bums and gangsters would party and sleep in my car, bang hookers, steal anything that wasn't nailed down, even maps or actual garbage. I mentioned to my roommate that I was thinking of filling a half-pint liquor bottle with antifreeze and leaving it at the glove compartment or under a seat. If you don't know, antifreeze tastes sweet, and it is appealing to animals and humans. But drinking even a small amount will shut down your liver and kill you. Not down the road, like within 24 hours. It's only for cars, not for people. Rumi was amused and then concerned, and he threw around words like premeditated murder (laughs) until I came to my senses. And then suddenly one day, I had enough money to leave, and so I did. My year and a half on the fringe was over, but for a long while after I left, I would duck or whip my head around when I heard popping noises or a sudden loudness at a bar or a restaurant that might be a fight starting. My friends would laugh. Thank you for listening. Glad you're here, man. Holy crap. Also glad he didn't do that antifreeze thing. <laughs> Two good things. Coming up next to the stage, we have a, a returning uh, champion of your stories. I think it's been a while since he's been here, but man, I love this dude. He hosts a, a podcast called Tight Pencils. He also just uh, published a comic, a graphic memoir called uh, Handbook, which is super, super great. I do make a small cameo in it. Kevin draws me much better than I look in real life, so thank you for that. <laughs> Kevin Budnick. This is my book. I brought it. No, I only have this one copy right now, here, in front of us. Um, yeah, it has been a while since I've been at Your Stories. Um, and I, uh, I woke up yesterday to a message from Eric asking if I wanted to come back tonight. And um, mostly it was because I just put out this book. Uh, but also I, um, I, I thought it was weirdly coincidental or, or, or kismet or whatever word you want to use for it because uh, uh, your stories has been so important to this book in particular like Eric mentioned there's uh, there's an actual like sequence in the book where I go to your stories when I when I started attending your stories uh, I, I felt this incredible sense of community um, and it was really important to the person that I was at the time. Uh, it's been a while since I've been away. Um, and I've been listening on the podcast uh, every week. And it's, it's, it's weird to feel like... Because, so, when when you see this established community and when you see the this group of creative incredible people and they welcome you into their thing you want in some way to give back to them for doing that for you um and i spent a lot of time between that first your stories and i guess today uh living sort of inside myself looking out and wanting to be the kind of person who could give back to people for welcoming them into their family um handbook is about a time in my life which 
that's the name of my book. I don't know if that has been mentioned yet. Uh, Handbook is about a time in my life when I was really unhealthy. Um, and I worry that sometimes I sell people a false bill of goods when I talk about it. Uh, it's, it's about um, my personal struggle with disordered eating. Uh, I spent some time in outpatient therapy for it. Uh, and that was all before I met anyone in the Nerdologues. Um, but I sort of uh, crafted this book in a way that it juxtaposes the time that I was in therapy and the time post-recovery. Um, but when I describe it that way, a lot of times people think that it's really this monumental, like, how did you get healthy? How did you, like, bring yourself back from the brink um, uh, narrative? And it's sort of not really that. Um, it's at times that, sure, but uh, mostly it's a traditional autobiographical memoir about being lonely and sad and dating. Uh, and uh, so... Yeah, I mean, I, di I didn't really have anywhere to go with that, uh, but I, I, I've been working out some stuff based on the feelings that uh, telling people that I wrote this memoir about disordered eating for. Um, and uh, I, I wrote a little, little sort of, that was sort of the, that was the, the, the prologue. This is the thing that I had to say. Um, it's only like six sentences long. Um, I, have dis I have an eating disorder. I tell people I'm recovered. The truth is I'm not. But I'm better off now than I was a year, a month, a week ago. I know how to cry. I know how to vocalize my body issues. I know where to turn if I get the urge to self-harm. But all those tools are for me to use to express my voice. I haven't figured out how to hear other voices. I haven't figured out how to listen, really. I like to pretend I'm the only one with these problems, so when people open up to me, I don't really know what to say. Because them, they, dealing with it, makes it real. They say you have to suffer for your art, but I don't think that you have to suffer at your own hand. Thanks. Oh, I love you, Kevin. Uh, the book is seriously great. I, I sell comics for a living, actually, and it's I don't know, like, I, I love comics of all kinds, and that is definitely one of my favorite comics that I have bought this year, uh, without a doubt. So, please, everyone, check out Handbook. Also, you can support Kevin on Patreon. You get, um, like, he does four-panel comics every day that he posts to Patreon, which is really, really great. So, thanks, man. Thanks for all the wonderful art you put into the world. Thanks, Eric. You're welcome. <laughs> Guys, we have one more pair of storytellers uh, tonight. They're the people who helped organize this evening. They do fantastic work. One as the co-host of the Refresh podcast, another as the co-host of Gossip Girls with Subi. Together they host Open Ended, and they are two of the four founders of Post Loudness as well. Please welcome Cher Vincent and James T. Green. Yeah! So as we had on that lovely introduction, the two of us make up Open Ended, um, which is a narrative-driven podcast that kind of explores people 
that kind of intersect in this world between tech culture and art. And we always say it's with a side of sass. Um, so right now we have made it all the way to episode 59. Thank gosh. But today we are going to dive into the archives and revisit episode five. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. Um, so tell me a little bit about episode five. Sure. So um, I was curious about the how people break up with one another, especially through technology. I've dumped somebody on technology, also been dumped on technology. So um, I kind of wanted to see a relationship through the beginning to the end in technology. I wrote this in 20 minutes, so bear with me. It's not great, but um, it is fan fiction. Friend fiction. Friend fiction. Mm. So Between yeah. two star-cross Southside South lovers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. One second. Is <laughs> <laughs> it? So I think you'll like this place, Longman. They have good whiskey. Nice. I think I need some liquid courage anyway. I'm a great first date. Promise. <laughs> we'll just see. See you at 15. Hey, I'm here early. I'm wearing black. Cool. Grab a spot for us. get home okay yeah the uber driver was a bit of a perv but that's nothing new <laughs> well i have a car next time oh so there's gonna be a next time if you want there to be <laughs> what are you up to this weekend my friends thing tonight? Sure. I've been telling them so much about you, so you kind of have to come so they don't think I made you up. Gotcha. Can't be the invisible girlfriend. Girlfriend? Um, shit, I mean... <laughs> no, I've been calling them that to you, if that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. At Hyde Park Hottie. BF just brought over some chicken soup and red box and some sick. He can stick around. At Bronzeville, brother. <laughs> Not gonna lie, staying in and watching Reservoir Dogs with the girl ain't a bad way to spend an evening. Yo! What's up? 
Important work. Entertain me. <laughs> Thanks for the periscope clip. <laughs> Always at your service. Do you ever wonder the other shoe was going to drop? Been having the similar feeling all week. Hey, I didn't know you were going to that party the other night. Yeah, it was last minute. With the guys, of course. Did you know she was going to be there? I swear, I didn't know. I haven't talked to her for quite a while. Yeah, we look pretty cozy together on Instagram. Can we talk about this in person? Why does it matter? I didn't think she was going to post it on there. Whatever. Can I come over, though? I want to talk to you. Yeah, I guess. Who's that dude? Who? The guy in the picture you're tagged in. He's just an old friend. Doesn't look like it. I swear I've known him for years. Well, can you untag yourself? I don't need to see some dude's arm around you on my newsfeed. Fine. At Bronzeville, brother, sometimes people can be so passive aggressive. But a lot of the time, they can just be aggressive. Hey, can I come over? What's wrong? I've been calling you for over an hour. Sorry, I was up in Do Not Disturb. Had to get some work done. Fine, whatever. I'll be over in 10. So glad we got to talk last night. Yeah, me too. I feel like we were in a bad place, but we're getting away from it. Yeah. Well, I have to head to this meeting, but I just wanted to let you know that. Thanks. Talk to you soon. So, uh, my plans changed. So, you want to come over? I think he's cheating on me. I read a text of his that he sent to somebody else, and I'm kind of freaking out. Please, let me come over and explain. Why, so you can lie to me further? I wasn't lying. Nothing happened. I read the text. I know she came over. Why are you reading my text? Why are you texting some girl to come over to your house? Please, just let me come over. I don't want to do this over the phone. Fine. All right. I'll see you in 10. I can't make it work with him anymore. Every time I'm with him, I feel like he's thinking about her or someone else. Can we meet at the park by that bench with the cool graffiti? At lunch? Sure. Okay, see you soon.
at Hypercati, sometimes it's best to just let go and let flow. Relationship status, single. I don't know if technology exacerbates that difficulty or abates it. I think a little bit of both. I've broken up with people over text message. It feels really shitty. I'm a bad person for doing that. I'm sorry. I don't know why I told you all that. Just... <laughs> and here, here's the honest to God in my head. I was like, well, because it's hard to park by my place. So if she comes over just for me to break up with her, she's going to feel bad. So I might as well just tell her over text. That's what was going through my head. I know. That's fucking terrible. I'm an asshole. I'm not trying to get out of this one, guys. I feel it. I feel bad about it. That was like two years ago, but I still feel shitty about it. I wouldn't do that again. Anyway. Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Blaster Podcast. Blaster Podcast is a pretend science show hosted by a horrible doctor from the Italian Renaissance. Join host Dottore Bellordo and his guests as they explore new science topics every episode. Blaster Podcast. Let us experiment with yourself. For more info, go to blasterpodcast.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. 
and go to www.nerdwatch.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.